I got a 10. I got an 8. Guess I'm going first. Yep. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Casting of the Cantrip, the weekly podcast about D&D and other RPGs. I'm your host with the higher initiative who uh, really didn't expect to be doing this opening this week, John, and... Um, I'm your host who understands probability, Ange. <laughs> and this week, we are going to be talking about that very thing. Expectations. Expectations. We, I don't know if you noticed, but we both took a very different tone with that. We did. <laughs> You're all excited, like, oh boy, games, we're going to talk about it. And I'm all like, I'm about to just school all you all. I have some strong opinions, and they're coming out tonight. Yes, they are, and I think I agree with a lot of them, because we've talked about this a few times in the past, too. Yeah, we with expectations, um, I mean, I think like the whole thesis of basically any, you know, discussion-based podcast on D&D is kind of like based around the idea of expectations. Oh, I expect to be running this type of dungeon crawl. What is the best way to do it? What is the best way to subvert my players' expectations narratively, but give them a fulfilling session and stuff? Mm-hmm. Awesome. But there's there's been a couple of things lately, some like really key features about playing role-playing games in general that have come up too specifically um, that have been throwing us off. They've been throwing off sessions that we've been in recently. Um for one of them, I honestly think it's throwing off an entire campaign. Not that we're going to dump on that campaign. I just think it's we're in a strange situation with it. Uh, so we're basically going to be talking about two things. The first one is, you know, just in general, what to expect as far as, like, playing in D20 system. Like, I want to say 5th edition. 5th edition compared to moving to other role-playing games that you might be interested in. Um, and then the actual role-playing part. I think there's a little bit of, um, missed opportunities in the part where you're actually just sitting down and you're just talking with your friends, that storytelling aspect where the dice aren't rolling, but you are still building character. Mm -hmm. And I think the two beats that I'd like to hit personally that aren't exactly the same as what you plan on talking about are, um, I feel like there's two stages to the expectation game. There's setting those expectations on the... And that usually falls on sort of your game master or dungeon master, depending on which game you're playing. And then there's meeting those expectations, which is also on on the game master a little bit, but the the players know what they should be getting into and shouldn't be deliberately trying to break out of that mold if they know it's going to ruin the campaign. I can tell you're still a little bit salty about people shitting in your sandbox. I, It's a very well-built sandbox. <laughs> I don't need it to smell. <laughs> okay, anyway, before we get into this episode, we have this week's Homebrew Spotlight. This week's Homebrew Spotlight comes to us from Noble Crumpet on Tumblr. He calls his page Noble Crumpet's Dork Vision Blog, which is just the most flavorful of names. <laughs> the most flavorful is aptly named. Noble Crumpet... God, I... I love everything about it. We're looking at it. You guys aren't looking at it, unless you looked it up right now, in which case you're looking at it and you know Mm -hmm. flavorful is the absolute right word. Noble Crumpet's blog is almost entirely compiled of food-based D&D monsters, 5th edition monsters. Mm -hmm. 
And for anyone who took a look at our one-shot that we put out for the holidays last year, A Feast and a Frozen Star, all of his goofy creations have the same sort of silly appeal that all of my holiday-themed monsters had in that one shot. Yeah, we had the uh, cranberry slimes and the gelatinous cube cakes. Mm -hmm. And he's got some of the same, like, almost exactly the same abilities as those. Like, the still warm ability that I gave to a lot of those, where you don't they dealt fire damage if they, if they like, engulfed you and stuff. He's got some of that in some of his creations. Yes, but this is far more extensive. We came up with monsters specifically for a single one-shot to be kind of goofy. I mean, the one-shot itself is a fully functioning one-shot for the holidays. A great way to invest yourself in um, monstrous characters, if you're interested in looking into that. But we only have two monsters in that. This is an entire blog of food-based monsters. And they're awesome. Mm -hmm. They're, dare I say, they're delicious. They actually, they, some of them look really good. My favorite looks really good. I don't know about you. Yes, Noble Crumpet has made everything from the humble crumpet folk and pastakin to the mighty gummy creatures. But my personal favorite that I've seen so far, because he's got a lot of stuff on here, and I haven't even seen all of these yet. I kind of, I kind of <laughs> pulled this one on you at a moment, so just. When we were uh, prepping for this episode, which for anybody who knows anything about our episode, prep can be anywhere from an afternoon of quietly discussing things amongst, amongst ourselves to two weeks of arguing about whether or not we're going to do this very episode and then finally getting around to it. <laughs> um, when I finally sprang this on you, you were like, oh my god, why didn't you show it to me sooner? <laughs> Sorry. So my favorite that I've seen so far is the Angel of Pasta. And this thing is so neat. It's a CR-10, so it's it's kind of up there, about mm -hmm. about where you expect a lot of your Celestials and Giants to be, so it's, a, it's like a mid-game threat, assuming you manage to anger one. It has an armor class of 17, hit points that average in the mid-100 mid to 200 range. It's got a 30-foot walk speed and 90-foot fly speed, and its, it's core stats are just really good. Its weakest one is Intelligence at 17. And it's got several that hit 20, so this thing is a force to be reckoned with. I mean, it's an angel. That's, yeah, yeah. You expect them to have stuff that seems a little bit more uh, overpowered even for their uh, challenge rating. Now, it's got a core stat block of saves and skills and such that wouldn't be out of place on any other Celestial either, but then you get into its abilities and these start looking really neat. First off, it's got innate spellcasting, which is another thing you sort of expect to see on a lot of Outsiders. But it gets kind of interesting with its ability to detect poison and disease at will, and a couple times a day create food and water. As you would expect a being of pasta to be able to do. I mean, it kind of is food. <laughs> it's also got some bog-standard magic resistance, giving it advantage on saving throws. But the really cool ability it has is its saucy weapons. It's, uh, its melee weapons are drenched in blessed Alfredo sauce the deal 2d8 points of radiant damage on a hit as you are drenched in the divine sauce of the gods <laughs> I prefer marinara aside from that once you get into its actions it's got its penne blade which of course includes the damage from the sauce on the blade its angel hair attack that it can use to grapple up to four creatures and its ability to summon a healing meal 
And to cap it all off, it has a multi-attack. Let's it attack twice with its penne blade and grapple one target with its angel hair. Now, it does have one other really interesting, flavorful thing about it. Let's say you did anger one of these pasta angels and found yourself on the wrong end of its angel hair. Or, well, yeah. I guess all of the ends would be the wrong end at that point, right? Mm -hmm. There is one way to defeat it. Yes, if you choose to wield a trident, specifically a trident, against a pasta angel, you can instead make use of its angel hair ability against it and grapple it by its own hair, on account of wielding a giant fork. Yep, because you have a <laughs> fork and it doesn't. And that is, I think, one of the most flavorful abilities it has, aside from the Alfredo sauce. Alfredo sauce is pretty tasty. I really prefer <laughs> marinara. <laughs> I haven't had Alfredo sauce in years. Help me. So my favorite monster <laughs> that I've seen so far, and I've seen many more of these, but I mean, maybe I'm just biased. Uh, our friend Kate, hi Kate, uh, sent this one specifically to me. And I mean, I don't know if it stands out because it's the first one I got or if it stands out because it's just this good. But the one I really like is the cheese elemental. I love cheese. I love cheese too. The cheese elemental is exactly as you imagine it to be. It is, it's big cheese. It's big it's a, oozy cheese. It's a giant oozy cheese wheel. With this creature, we have a large elemental, not an ooze. You would expect it to be an ooze, but as yeah. it is an elemental, it's an elemental. Yeah, I probably would have done ooze myself. Yeah, I thought it would have been an ooze too, even though I said cheese elemental 700 times already. <laughs> uh, AC of 14, hit points in the low to mid hundreds, and a climb speed. It can climb. Well, it's sticky. Because <laughs> it'll just goo its way up whatever it wants to. Uh, this one isn't quite as uh, overpowered in the stats as far as, like, you know, compared to your angel. Because uh, it doesn't really have mental stats mm -mm. at all. I think its charisma should be higher. Its charisma is an 8. Cheese is very is a very charismatic food, though. Everybody loves cheese. Everybody loves cheese, so I think that might be wrong. But all of its power is in its strength, its con, even its dex is pretty high up there. This thing is going to hit hard, and it's going to, of course, deal that uh, burn damage that you'd expect from a hot, gooey pile of cheese hitting you. Mm -hmm. So... <laughs> <laughs> It has cheese form. The elemental can move through a space as narrow as one inch without squeezing. Creatures that touch the elemental or hit it with a melee attack within five feet of it take four points or 1d8 fire damage. Uh, in addition, the elemental can enter a hostile creature's space and stop there. I mean, it's just the same as what it, any other... Yeah, it's just the amorphous form that oozes get, but, but with a different element. But it's cheese form! <laughs> you know, and the fire damage. Yeah. Yeah, so there's that. Um, it is susceptible to cold. But not vulnerable to it. No, it is not vulnerable to it. No, it takes no extra damage from it, but it is slowed by it. At a challenge 5, it should be no surprise, it has a multi-attack. It's normal touch attack, which is just whapping you all up and down with cheese. I'm smacking John. Um, Your hands are clammy. I'm sorry. That's what the cheese feels <laughs> like. <laughs> it also has a cone of cheese. The elemental spews, <laughs> spews forth a... 30-foot cone of molten cheese in its form. Each creature in the area must make a DC 14 dexterity saving throw or become restrained. Uh, plus, you also take 2d8 fire damage at the start of each of your turns because of being covered in cheese. Molten cheese. 
molten cheese. A creature can use its action to make a DC 14 strength check to free itself from the cheese. That's absurd, and I love it. It's great. <laughs> um, as with most breath, breath weapons, recharge in a 5 to 6. Um, mm-hmm. You know, your, your typical cheese-based breath weapon. Mm-hmm. I love it. Now, I would like to point out that if you do want to use one of these really cool monsters in your game, it is important to remember they are homebrewed. So their challenge ratings and abilities may not quite match up to what you would expect a creature of that strength to have. Yes. Um, We went through and we put a few of these monsters through some calculators because we knew that we'd be talking exclusively about monsters tonight. We wanted to make sure the CRs and everything were kind of matching up. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like everything was just a little low. Like, when we calculated it, it was just a CR lower. It's listed at a CR lower than it maybe should be. Yes. Um, Uh, Specifically, we did go over the angel. The angel felt like... Like, when it came out of the calculator, it came out as an 11 instead of a 10. mm -hmm. So, ranked just a little bit higher. Now, that might not, like, standalone, that might not be enough to make or break an encounter, but as you're already working with some of these really unique abilities and everything like that, it's something to keep in mind, especially if you're trying to design an entire adventure, weird one-shot, or uh, one-off area around this. God, you could do a whole Candyland thing around this. You could. Oh my god. Full of candy lads, which is another creature he made. <laughs> so good. <laughs> um, that one thing aside, we you know we also noticed there's a few things where the wording is a little inconsistent. So it might just be a matter of, you know, they are putting their free stuff up. On, we're looking at the stuff that's on the blog. We're seeing the free stuff, or we're seeing like things as they're coming out, as they're being worked on. If you want the actual like finished stuff, if you want to support. Noble Crumpet. Noble Crumpet has a Patreon. He does. Uh, and I have to, I just have to say this right now because if you want to join Noble Crumpet's Patreon, you have to pick your membership level, as with most Patreons. So you can be a Scone Surf, a Baron Biscuit, or a Muffin Marquee. And they each have their own illustration. They're so beautiful. I love it. <laughs> God, I love food. I've been trying to eat less lately. Not, like, starve myself. I've been trying to, like, you know, (laughs) not eat snacks and stuff. This is a bad thing to do tonight. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. I'll just talk more about Alfredo sauce. (laughs) That, you know what, that's not going to affect me at all. I really don't like Alfredo sauce. (laughs) Alfredo sauce. Uh, but yes, Noble Crumpet has a Patreon uh, where they are putting out more of their stuff where you can support them directly and get more up-to-date and complete things. Not just the free stuff on the blog, but of course Noble Crumpet also has, and we'll link both of these in the description, um, Noble Crumpet has their Tumblr blog where they're just putting out everything. Currently they're in the middle of their Mobtober, uh, sort of like everybody's doing Inktober or whatever. They're just creating monsters Yeah. for October. October monsters instead of... Inktober is the one I know that everybody does, but like, there's other Tobers. You'd, you'd think I would be doing a Mobtober. I'm not, but I should be. This guy's smart. It's because we have Yomakon at the end of the. That is true. I did make a couple of monsters this month. You did, but you only made two because we have other stuff that we have to get to. <laughs> um, that is true. But yes, go That's ahead true. and check out uh, Lord Crumpet's Patreon and Tumblr and get yourself a tasty monster. Oh my god, it's homebrewed. All of it. 
and just currently staring off into space. Not quite a thousand yard stare, maybe like 998 or something. I'm so hungry. <laughs> All right, let's get to today's topic at hand. Yes. Expectations. Yes. Setting them, meeting them, not exceeding them. I mean, Sometimes no, exceeding no, them? exceeding them. Exceeding them would be <laughs> great, actually. Always exceeding expectations would be ideal. Although, I sometimes wonder if maybe at some point I really exceeded expectations and now people expect too much. And, ugh, that's just my anxiety working up. Let's talk about something that we can seriously control. Um, expectations. Man, I've noticed a couple of things happening lately that I just, I feel like I have to get off my chest. And I'm going, we're going to try. Because John and I have argued a little bit. We've agreed. We've disagreed. Like we've, you do. Yeah, we've tried to narrow down what the issue is with, um, you know, not meeting some of the expectations that we have, either as players or as DMs in the various campaigns that we're running. Or as entire game systems sometimes. Yeah. Actually, game systems is where this really started. Um, my original complaint was, and I don't think I quite nailed it when I said it first off, is that recently I've noticed that I've been trying to, and I, I kind of always try to do this, I don't necessarily think this is a bad way to approach any session, but I always try to force the whole hitting certain story beats in each session as far as like, there always has to be a build-up, there always has to be a mini-encounter, there always has to be some downtime, some role-play time, some big encounter. Like, I feel like I have to hit those things. Uh, this system works really well for our one-shots. Mm -hmm. It works really well for perhaps getting a, a long session in for, like, a start of a campaign going or wrapping up an arc, hitting this sort of, like, act structure. It's not, a th it's not like a play, like a three-act structure, but a there's, you know, sort of an ebb and flow to a story that you're trying to hit. Mm -hmm. And... Certain story beats that you're expecting or not expecting. Yeah. I've been trying to, like, at certain times I will find myself forcing encounters into a session just because I can tell one person out of a group of five, six, eight people was upset that an encounter didn't go the way that they wanted it to. I'll find myself giving everybody more downtime or bending to uh, weird play styles just because somebody said that they could uh, without really thinking about the ramifications to my story or having people make checks, just kind of going with stuff on the fly. I found myself doing this a lot, and I'm like, I'm holding, as a DM, I hold myself a lot to these story beats, and I don't always enjoy those sessions when I feel like I'm forcing that. I don't think people enjoy those sessions when they feel like they're forced to have to play, you know, according to, like, certain, they, you have to hit certain beats. But I feel like it's expected. And I said that at the beginning. I'm like, man, having that expectation going into everything, it feels like it's really wrong. And then it feels like it's bleeding over into other games that don't really support that whole D&D, like, heavy combat. I know you're talking about Overlight here. I am talking about Overlight here. <laughs> but going from D&D to Overlight isn't the only issue. Um, what I'm trying to say is, is that my problem isn't really with that basic sort of, I'm going to call it a 3 X structure, even though it... It really isn't when you're playing D&D, &D, but you get what I'm saying, right? It's more like a, a, a three-act cycle. Uh, just <laughs> a, your basic, like, D&D &D storytelling structure isn't the problem. I had a problem with it at first. I thought it was the problem, but it's not the problem. The problem is 
that different different systems, different uh, storytelling styles, different types of campaigns that you need to be running don't always function on that that same sort of like ebb and flow of a story. There's different ways that you approach each kind of encounter and setting the expectations for that for the beginning um, is really helpful. It kind mm-hmm. of, it makes everything go a little bit smoother and it helps to round out sessions without you trying to force in it just a random encounter because that's what everybody expects or that's what you think everybody expects. Maybe the problem is more that I think people expect me to hit all of these beats when in reality a satisfying session can just be sitting around role playing or mm-hmm. it can be a dick ton of combat. I don't like a dick ton of combat myself, but it can be. And I've had plenty of, I've been in plenty of great sessions that have been fight after fight after fight that at the end I did feel pretty good at because I designed a character to fight pretty good. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the misconceptions that causes this sort of uh, lapse in expectations being, being set properly is that uh, I, I know I'm not the only person who does this, one of the things that I do when I pick up a new game system is, or or even just a new campaign for a system I'm already familiar with, is I'll look and see how much combat I think the game is expecting, and I sort of tailor my expectations towards that. And that doesn't necessarily work all the time. Mm-mm. There are some systems where it does work. If you pull out, say, the Iron Kingdom's role-playing game... And you look at that and you're like, wow, there's a lot of stuff for combat in this game. Uh, Well, you're right. It's based on a war game. You are supposed to be in fights all the time. It's got a relatively simple skill system in comparison. But then you can also look at something like Dungeons & Dragons, which has an extremely well-fleshed-out combat system, but doesn't require you to be in combat all the time for your character to be doing the things that you want them to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly a rogue who is, you know, skilled at... Trap finding, lock picking, breaking into shit, stealing awesome magic <laughs> so weapons. Doing rogue things. Doing rogue things. Uh, certainly, they don't want to be in combat all the time. In fact, they want to be hidden as much as possible and maybe jump down for a quick sneak attack before darting back off to go and steal some loot. We've had a lot of really awesome sessions playing in the like little Ravnica side story that we've been doing where there's just a rogue in your party who... You guys have you guys have been in combat, but most of the time that he's been involved in anything is the rest of the party causing a distraction and him bringing back shit for you. Or it's, opening a door. Or opening a door. That we had to defend him from. That was actually a really cool uh, mission. Yeah. That, that, that session actually worked out really well because it was the only true fight we had that entire time. That, that one was pretty wild. And, you know, the, that one was really well thought out on my part, too. God, I'm so smart sometimes. I'm just going to pat myself <laughs> on the back. The whole idea was is the further away you could keep the uh, the riders. The, the less panicked he would be. The less panicked he would be and the more likely he'd be to get the just get the door open. But uh, you guys had them like kind of right up on you, so he was rolling a disadvantage uh, the whole time. Uh, they were mounted. It was, <laughs> it was hard to keep them away. I mean, they were zombie riders on zombie horses. <laughs> no big deal. So what you're saying is is that you feel like the, an important part of meeting those expectations and setting those expectations is being completely transparent about your intentions ahead of time, whether it be beginning of a session, beginning of a campaign, beginning of a story arc. 
Well, I actually was just talking about how cool zombie horses, but yes, that too. <laughs> um, yes. So I think this is something I'm going to try to work on a little bit more for myself because I think it's going to help me break out of that. I don't like following that strict little story arc of just set up, small encounter, role play moment, big encounter type thing in every single session. And I know that I know it works. It works great for our one shots. It works great for setting various things up. And it's definitely a good way to base your sessions on. But I think the reason that I want to break out of it is one, I mean, I'm not I'm not progressing the stories that I want to progress naturally because I'm either trying to like cram it into the strict strut like I'm trying to railroad it too much. It's just another form of railroading. Trying to hit certain story beats in a certain amount of time is railroading to some extent. And, you know, it works in some situations. It has to work in some situations. But in a long-form campaign, when you have effectively infinite amount of time to sit down and develop your characters, develop your story, go in different directions as much as you want, it's okay to be flexible. So I don't like... I don't like holding myself to that. Um, And... I also, I kind of look at everything from, like, the bigger narrative. If you need to take an entire session um, to, like, and I mean an entire session to really go through an entire boss fight. Like, we, we've had some sessions recently with you because you were wrapping up a story arc with us where, like, basically everything happened. It was one boss fight and then a little bit of role play at the end. Mm-hmm. That's certainly not the the structure that I'm talking about. Like, we started off, we were still in combat in your last uh, Legacy of the Kind session. And we had that combat go for, like, two hours because there were a lot of players on the field. There were. And then just some wrap-up. That we, that we just had some wrap-up because that was a lot to deal with, you know? Yep, and now you're going into the next big story arc. Yeah, but that was totally satisfying. That was a very satisfying thing for us to do because over the course of everything else that we had done in the previous sessions, it was a fitting end to everything that we had done. So I'm looking at everything from this kind of like grand perspective and I don't I don't want to feel like just because one session in my campaign is I mean, I guess a little boring because we didn't have a combat this session or like something that I had planned like got thwarted. Sometimes I plan encounters that I think are gonna be cool and then they kind of um they get undermined pretty quick, like a quick hold person. Everybody bars the door and then escapes. To be entirely fair, that was completely within character for the characters we were playing. It absolutely was, <laughs> but it like, but it did uh, it did subvert my plan for a little bit of a bigger, more intense encounter. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, okay, well, I guess we're going to be doing some more role playing now because, like, what am I going to do? Just throw more random people your way? Like, why would I do that? I had no, I had no way of throwing more at you guys in that moment, like based on what I had planned. So I was like, oh, okay, you beat the encounter. Mm-hmm. And I think that actually brings up another good point in, in that it's not only on the DM to set expectations. The players should also be setting some expectations through their backstory and character design as to how they intend on playing the character. Mm-hmm. Like my character in the game you were just talking about, really just wants to raise his dragon and tell stories he's not really much of a warrior and doesn't really care to be 
most of the people in this party are not warriors. They're not right. fighters. And you're all very young. By design, you are young for this part of the game. So you've got a bunch of maybe upper teens, early 20s characters that are just trying to get by. They aren't. We aren't, like, the group as a whole isn't out looking for trouble. They just want to make sure that their charges are kept safe and that they can complete the task that's been set before them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so subverting some of the ways that you guys actually deal with encounters is really important, and yet I still feel like every once in a while you need to beat something up. That's not necessarily true, and that's where, like, I don't feel like my own campaign is meeting my expectations the way I'm telling it, and maybe it's not resonating with some people who expect more combat. Um, mm-hmm. That's the issue that I'm having. Now, one it, it, e- is, it is a fine line to walk. Yeah. One easy way to solve this, we talk about how important Session Zero is, because I've been trying to describe this for, like, what, 20 minutes now? <laughs> Here's an easy solution. Uh, we talk about how important Session Zero is, but maybe talking about what we intend to do before each session begins. Just setting setting up this idea of like, okay, here's what I think we're going to get accomplished today. Here's what I have prepared. No spoilers, obviously. Like, oh, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to walk into this pyramid and then you're going to fight the lich. <laughs> well, that would be a really solid subversion of expectations. Uh, to not have that lich be there. It, well, it would, uh, but it would also be a lot of extra information if you knew going into it ahead of time exactly what you were fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm saying is is that if you know going into the next session, um, today I expect this to be more role-playing and bookkeeping. I don't have a lot of encounters planned for you. Or today I expect you guys to get through a lot of combat. Um, or we didn't get to... Like, last week, when you do your recap, last week you didn't get to this, this, and this, so maybe you'll see more of that this week. Just kind of priming everybody so they know at the end of the day, um, you know, perhaps after the first encounter that they have, because everybody's already gotten got this idea in their head, oh, well, the encounter's over, time to pack up and leave, and you still had more planned, and you've only been playing for 45 minutes, like, oh, wait, it's not over. You know, mm-hmm. giving everybody an idea of what to look forward to ahead of time. It's something that I'm going to try to do a little bit more, uh, so that way uh, nobody's, like, grinding their teeth at the table waiting for the next thing to happen. Yeah, and I think that session recap, like, starting each session with a short recap of what everyone was on their way to do, mm-hmm. or if they just finished a, just finished a big climactic boss fight, what they just did. So then they have a feel for what should be next. Yeah. So and then you don't have to you don't have to state it outright if you're like, well, you guys just defeated the the barbarian war chief and headed back home to your families. Like they should probably expect that downtime is next. They shouldn't be expecting to be like, oh, well, I sharpening my axe, we're going back into battle. That no. You you should. Who are you like, going to battle, Grandma? <laughs> Damn it, Grandma, you didn't make the right cookies. Yeah, you shouldn't be expecting to be rolling initiative if you just finished a boss fight. That's kind of not how good pacing works, and that's not how our brains are wired to think what should happen next. That's not how cause and effect happens in our heads. Mm -hmm. You know, you've just finished a thought, you're putting a period on it, and you're going to the next sentence. Mm -hmm. You're going to the next paragraph. You're continuing on from there. Yeah, there's kind of a progression of, like, fight, downtime, fight, downtime. That is actually the real progression. It's not start a session with a setup, 
have a small encounter, do some more sleuthing or dungeon delving, and then big encounter. It's fight, downtime, fight, downtime. That's D&D's way of approaching it anyway. But uh, that actually kind of gets us into our next point, the point that might be the part that's way worse. Like, the first part Mm -hmm. is something that I just wanted to talk about because I felt like it was a good setup to the episode. Ah! I might have to edit that out. That was a really loud clap. (laughs) But I felt like it was a good way to kick off our topic. And I feel like I also needed just a little bit of, like, therapy. I needed to vent a little bit. I needed to be like, here. You needed some catharsis. Well, I needed to... I needed to... Basically, this is an open letter to all my players. Sometimes... You guys screw up my plans, and I feel like I am railroading things for your sakes to meet your expectations. But I have come to the conclusion that upon reflecting on myself, I need to be more transparent about what I think I, I, about what I want to present to you in my stories. And then I want you to take those things and not mess them up. <laughs> That's I, those I are think fair it, statements. I think it comes down to something we say every like month or two: learn from our mistakes. <laughs> Mine are numerous and vast. <laughs> Endless, really. But um, that whole, you know, story progression, meeting expectations and everything, it's a, it's a small problem for me that I am facing right now that I'm trying to overcome that I've noticed. But I think it's a bigger problem since we have started really expanding and playing in different systems. Yes. D&D's got a very sort of fast-paced kind of... Not quite hyper-aggressive, but decently accelerated uh, rate of story progression because of the way the leveling system works, because of the way all of the mechanics are are meant to play off of each other. It is intended to go from battle to downtime to battle to build up to battle to downtime. You've got these story arcs that you're expected to hit one after another, and that doesn't work in all other systems. In particular, I want to talk about our experiences in Overlight. Mm-hmm. Because the way we started out playing Overlight, it was a bunch of people who'd never played it before. I had never run it before. There are very few resources on the on the game as a whole. So we have very little to go off of as far as building stories and building characters and, you know, knowing what to expect. Mm-hmm. So what we ended up having was a couple of people who had just learned how to play D&D, and then you and I being experienced dungeon masters, and we're all just vaulting into this rainbow universe that is sort of designed to be played in a very different way. Mm-hmm. I've been saying that since about our uh, fourth session. We were a little over a month into playing the game, and we were really starting to get into our characters and everything, but I noticed both from the players and just from, like, what the story that you were kind of trying to tell compared to what we actually had resources for, Overlight has fantastic world building. I mean, we talked about it, what, just a week ago, and mm-hmm. it has a really vibrant... Uh, God, so many, <laughs> so many puns and plays on words tonight. It is a it's very, a very punny episode. It's a very vibrant world to explore, and that's the whole point. It's super new. It's super fresh. You're expected to explore it. There's a lot of culture that's really explained in the core book. But then you flip to the end, and there's not a lot to go off of as far as what you're going to get into with combat or, you know, items that you could get your hands on and stuff like that. It's very bare bones as far as, like, go out and see what the world has to offer. Now, that's not to say that it doesn't have a fully fleshed out combat system. It does. 
There's actually a lot of options you have in combat, even down to the chromas that you can learn and cast. It's sort of, I wouldn't say it's a 50-50 split, but there is definitely a dichotomy in the chromas. They're either explicitly for combat usage, or they're explicitly for non-combat usage. Mm -hmm. But I've pointed out a few times, the ones that are for non-combat usage tend to go more with the exploration. In fact, all of the ones that I had access to with my character, none of them could have been valuable at all in combat. The one I took, Traveler's Eye, was specifically so we could you know, do pathfinding so we could find our way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's meant to be a game that's based around exploration, and everybody who's sitting at our table who's playing it, we don't have a lot of experience with exploration-based games. Mm-hmm. In fact, I dare I say, some of our players don't feel like the game is progressing if they are not killing something. Now, could that maybe be... Uh, the early warning signs of murder hobo syndrome. I don't know. Uh, we we don't know actually. We've only we haven't been playing this game for very long, but it is harder for everybody to kind of get into the mindset of you know just walking up and talking to people and asking questions and you know prompting you from you have the book and all of the knowledge about what to describe about the world and you might not know exactly what it is we're looking for but nobody's thinking to ask the questions okay well what does this place look like what is what are the cultures like here how should how should we dress and act who should we be talking to to get around to like you know more invest ourselves in that world Nobody has that mindset. We're all going in this mindset of, okay, we're here. Where's the quest giver? Who do we have to kill? Yeah, it's more of, it's less about, oh, this is an interesting culture and more about, oh, that's a weird creature to kill. Yes. And there's a lot of both of those in the game. And I'm not going to say that it doesn't expect you to get into fights. It clearly does. But us as D&D players walking into it are expecting to get, you know, we're expecting to be rolling initiative every every session. Yeah, once or twice a session, probably. Mm. And Overlight seems to be less focused on that. It's supposed to be as advantageous, if not sometimes more advantageous, for you to find a way to circumvent some sort of combat encounter. Mm-hmm. Which is something that uh, we were just talking about this a little bit ago with our dragon trainers in your game, where sometimes you want to subvert that expectation of getting into a fight and finding a way to get out of trouble without anyone having to get hurt. Mm -hmm. In those sorts of situations, if you find yourself entering into a game system that benefits from this, and you can maybe tell that you are entering into a game system that benefits from this, if a lot of these skills and abilities, even if it has a well-fleshed-out combat system, a lot of the skills and abilities are centered around a different core aspect of role-playing. In this case, Overlight, I think, has more about exploration. I still think it needs more help, as far as giving its DM something to work with, because there mm-hmm. is a lot to the world. Hey, even if we just had guidelines for how to flesh out a monster properly. A map, actually, was what I was going to say. A map would be great. The, there's a vertical map of all the shards, but we need, like, top-down maps, so, like, you know where to go. Because we have descriptions of all the places. That's true. Yes. A map would be great. If you're going to make an exploration-based game, please give us one map. <laughs> or in this case, seven. I think we need seven. Seven. Seven maps. All right, so we need seven. Yeah, you could probably make do with six. You don't really need a map of the desert. We need seven. <laughs> yes, my point is, is if you find yourself in a system where you are noticing that those skills and just the general structure of everything is centered around 
something other than, you know, like combat specifically, look into what that is and then try to, if you're the DM, tailor your campaign to those expectations. And if you're the player, don't expect the DM to travel too far outside of what the game is designed around. If the game mm-hmm. is designed around exploration, then expect that. If it is designed more around the combat or has a more fluid thing where, like, GURPS can do basically anything, know which GURPS you're getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes your GURPS is flavored with zombie apocalypse. Don't expect to be casting spells in that Sometimes one. it's Fallout in the greater Cleveland area. I was in that one. <laughs> I really wish I had played in that one. That always sounds so fun. Okay, now that we're done with that tangent, the last thing we want to talk about today is a way that the players should be meeting their expectations. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about player expectations, this isn't expecting, you know, a dungeon crawl to have lots of combat or um, a game that's based around exploration to have, shockingly, a bunch of things to explore. No, this is more based around character development, character expectations. Yes, the way that the expectations that you should be setting for your own characters when you are a player at the table. Mm-hmm. And I think this might not be coming to a head right now. I don't think it's coming to a head at all. I think everybody has uh, a moment or two in their career of playing D and D where they want their character to be in the spotlight, or where they don't think they're getting the most out of their character, but. For the first time ever through the power of the internet, we have examples <laughs> of people who really, really play their characters super duper good. Yes. I mean, of course we're talking about Critical Role, but there are tons of actual play podcasts out there that showcase really great role playing. And there's a lot of new players. I mean, there's still a huge influx of new players mm-hmm. every year. I think it's still growing. I'm not going to complain. I'm not complaining either. <laughs> but there's a lot of new influx of players who are learning the game first through watching other people play it, seeing excellent storytelling skills, excellent role-playing skills, which is all great, and then wanting to bring that same thing to the table and not having their expectations met. I realize that as we say expectations like this more, it's starting to sound like some sort of weird, like a classroom lecture or something. I don't know. Um... Let's just keep going. All right. Yeah, I'm not going to dwell on it too much. I'm going to... They'll keep me up at night. Don't hesitate. Okay. So, (laughs) people aren't getting their, like, role-playing needs met. And I have a solution. You guys should actually try role-playing. And not just with the DM. Everyone role-plays with the DM. Mm -hmm. Everyone gets their chance to talk to the DM. But the DM is just one person. Mm -hmm. They can't constantly be pandering to every single person at the table to make sure that they all get their personal backstory revealed to the world in the way that they desire. Yeah, actually, when you're sitting there, like when you have the DM splitting up their attention of what they can do, you only end up playing a fraction of the time. But you could be playing a lot more if you interact with the person next to you as opposed to the person behind the screen. That's been coming up more and more in the campaigns that we've been in, where people kind of roleplay through the DM, like look to the DM for guidance, which makes perfect sense. That is sort of their job. But you'll notice if you look at, like, anything from Critical Role or Dice Camera Action or... Should I mention Dice Camera Action? That's not on anymore, is it? Mm, I don't... Mm, I don't mm. think it is. Mm. You can still go back and watch it. <laughs> look, if you go and watch any of the other, like professional people playing D&D, you'll notice that the most interesting and memorable parts of those 
is usually when characters are interacting with each other. They're some of the wittiest, they're some of the funniest, most dramatic parts. If you look at any animation from any of these live plays, it's always going to be characters interacting with each other. Usually the DM, if they're even in the scene at all, they're just in the background face palming. Sometimes, While the characters are interacting, doing something zany. Yeah, sometimes they're describing what's happening. They'll like laugh and be like, "Okay, yes, uh, and you are in the porta potty, <laughs> talk, talking to your sword." <laughs> you sure Three miles are. in the air. You sure are. <laughs> um, I think that is a critical role animation. But that wouldn't surprise me. But yeah, those are the most memorable moments. And the most memorable moments we've had at the table are where two players are interacting with each other, which is something that I've noticed happening a little bit less, a little bit less, a little bit less. And I just, I don't think that this is a thing that we've all forgotten. I just want to reaffirm it in case we might be forgetting it. (laughs) Because it's super important to, and it's good for character development. As long as your character's development doesn't center around, like, trying to kill your friends, uh, because that's just going to piss everybody off at the table, it's good for character development, and it's good for practicing the second part of, you know, as far as a player having your expectations met in the game, seeing your character uh, grow in more ways than just leveling up. Seeing your character grow, seeing their backstory be revealed and stuff like that usually happens better through, you know, revealing, like, slow relationship building with your other party members, uh, slowly revealing stuff. And then after a while, you know, maybe having, you've shared a little bit with your friends and then maybe your DM finally drops something from your character's backstory and everybody and they're all like, this actually is relevant because you told us. That's an awesome moment. Yep. And and you're not going to get that if you aren't interacting with the other players. Mm Mm-hmm. That expectation is not going to get met. Ever. Nope. At all. So we all need to start doing that more. And as we start doing that more, we also need to remember the second part of that is that you can come to the table with the coolest character backstory ever. And I mean, like, the best. The most awesomest, edgy rogue. Nobody's ever built a rogue. I am the edgiest rogue. Stop. <laughs> Nobody's ever built a rogue this edgy. Not at all. This rogue is a straight polygon, okay? This rogue has such a dark backstory, they lost three parents, all right? This is the best backstory, edgy rogue ever. And you've been quiet and mysterious with their party members and everything. I don't know why I'm JoJo posing right now. Uh, She is actually JoJo posing. I need to stop. Back to the point. As we start to, you know, actually work with our other players and building our backstories off them and everything... We have to remember to respect our other players' opportunities to do the same thing. This has been happening a little bit more lately where people will come to the table with really cool ideas for characters and then totally trounce all over anybody else when it's their turn to share something about themselves. I found this happening a little bit more in the one-shots that I've been doing as opposed to long-form campaigns. Because in long-form campaigns... Everybody eventually gets a chance as long as mm-hmm. as long as you don't really have somebody at the table who doesn't get it. But when you have a very limited amount of time to do those interactions at one shots, um, that's when I found it's been the biggest problem. It's awesome that you've brought a cool character to the table, but you have to give everybody a little bit of time to shine. Sometimes, you know, you 
you get into those situations where it's unfortunate you never get to do that or you end up having a really bad night and, uh, well, I'm sorry, but the dice don't care about your expectations. They don't. Uh, but as far as, like, you know, just having that communal experience, I don't know. I just feel like it really, we need to remind each other that it's, like, it's okay to both, A, role play with our friends, have a little bit of banter with our friends, um you know, share more of our characters with each other and stuff, instead of just talking about it outside of the game or being like, oh, well, that's what my character would do or whatever, feel free to roleplay. Especially at, like, the golden downtime when you're out in the middle of nowhere at a, in, in camp and you have, like, two people who are awake at a time. Like, take a little bit of time to, like, talk to each other. Maybe make a gift for your friend. Why not? You've got two hours on watch and nothing's going to happen anyway because your DM <laughs> didn't plan an encounter. Like I said earlier, they didn't want to do an encounter right now. They have an encounter planned later. So, like, who cares? It's completely worthless time. It's just mandatory that you have a watch because if you don't have a watch, that's when the DM is going to screw you. So take, that, take I... a moment to, you know... Take that from two experienced DMs. We do not roll on encounter tables un- until you choose not to set a watch. Like I, that stays in my folder until until the party says they're not setting a watch. I actually always have my encounter table out. Yeah, but do you roll on it? Yeah. Weird. <laughs> I'm sorry. I actually pulled the random encounter table. I've got a couple set up because I because I built the whole world. No, I, I've I've used random counter tables for. Bet stuff. you didn't expect that. Oh, gotcha. But yes, all in all, our point is is that when it comes to role playing, you aren't going to get what you want out of the game if you aren't taking advantage of that downtime to role play with somebody other than the DM. You're gonna get more. You're going to get more out of the game if you're choosing to role play with other people, and if you're engaging with other people and they want to engage with you, could be a lot more fun. Especially mm-hmm. if it's somebody who, like a character who you don't interact with very much. Ooh, that's a fun combination. Never seen this happen before. What are these two going to get up to? It's probably something dumb, but hey, you know. Most likely. That's that's part of the fun of the game, right? And then just respect that time. Pay attention to what the other characters are doing. Definitely don't talk over people. Don't talk over people is like such an easy one to not do. Don't do that. Yeah, don't do that at all. Don't when when somebody is divulging their deep, edgy, rogue three dead three dead parents backstory. Don't come in and be like, "Yeah, well, fireball, fireball, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> Why fireball? Uh, as the size of an explosion increases, the number of social situations it is incapable of resolving approaches zero. Mage calculus. Calculus isn't a school of magic. Uh, it's called mathematics. I I am done. I was done with all of my <laughs> points for the evening, but I think I'm actually done. I'm just going to leave uh, the wrap-up and the green text to you in all of its entirety. Well, in that case, I'll move on to the green text. Okay. This meets my expectations. Might have been subverted. <laughs> Tonight's D&D green text comes to us from Darius Kell on Reddit. Amy meets the BBEG. The main villain is a little old lady wearing glasses. How are you supposed to hit her? Party arrives to see a little old lady. She welcomes the party. The party is taken aback. 
she then offers them fresh-baked cookies. Most party members smile and thank her for her hospitality. Amy, however, chooses to draw his sword and decapitate the old woman. The party is struck with horror as her body falls to the floor. What's the fuck, Amy? says the bard. What? She was obviously the BBEG, responds Amy. How would you know that? Why the fuck would she be in a cult hideout? Or maybe she was a hostage, says the fighter. Or maybe she was the cult leader. Um, uh, I, I don't think she was the cult leader. Uh, the bounty here clearly says the leader is a man called uh, Brutus Soul Eater, chimes in the wizard. Okay, well, uh, maybe she's working for him? She was offering us cookies. Well, maybe they were poisoned. Or maybe they were just baked with love and kindness and you're just an asshole. All of a sudden, a door opens and a large man in a dark robe walks in. Hey, Gram Gram, I'm back from getting more flour for your delicious cookie. Gram Gram, no! <laughs> okay, I have to ask. At me or with me? <laughs> Are you laughing? <laughs> it helps if you're laughing too. It's such a dumb story and I love it. Announceables. Announceables. <clears throat> we'll be posting on our Facebook page all of the sessions that we plan on running. We have we have our actual schedule. We know when we are supposed to be running, when we're scheduled to run. So we'll be planning everything that we, or we'll be planning, we'll be posting everything that we have planned along with uh, things as far as like requirements. Are we running Ravnica? Do you need to build a Ravnica character? What level do they need to be? What's banned? I mean, basically it's just like core stuff. Uh, please don't bring some ported up homebrew crazy thing from second edition. Uh, I'm, not, I'm gonna say no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't. I don't hate you. Uh, it's just I can't accommodate that because we're doing. It's it's only me fifth edition, and we're going to have all of the rules and information on Facebook. Um, if you don't use Facebook, we're also going to have it listed there. I guess. Well, if you don't use Facebook or you don't use the internet or whatever, you're not hearing this. But we'll have it all listed there at the tables too. So we're going to be pretty open and transparent. Try to get as much information out there. So when it is time for us to run at Yomacon next weekend. You guys will have, you know, everything ready to go. You'll know what we're going to be running and what you need to play. Yep. Um, as far as everything else goes, I mean, links in the description for all of our regular stuff. Links to our Discord, to our Twitter where you get updates about episodes. And when John goes live working on his homebrew stuff, you have the links to his homebrew stuff for on GM's Guild. I almost said DM Binder, but that would be wrong. Yeah, both of those wrong. It's DM's Guild and GM Binder. Oh, shit. <laughs> Every, not, everyone knew what you were talking about. I'm not cutting it. I don't, it's it's <laughs> announceable. Um, <clears throat> mm-hmm. I've actually spent the last couple of streams working exclusively on the Yomicon stuff. So mm-hmm. if you've been keeping up on those or, or dropping in on those, you've got a little bit of a sneak peek at what's coming. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to have, you know, like I said, everything posted for Yomicon. That's our last big convention of the year, so you won't have to listen to convention stuff for the... For, for a while. For, yeah, for, yeah, for a, a while. Because I don't think we're doing anything until after Adepticon, so go us. Break time. Woo! Everybody have a happy and safe Halloween. Have fun. Um, do spooky things. Yes, do spooky things and then come see us at Yomicon. Yes, all of those things. And aside from all that, I hope that... 
tonight's episode met everybody's expectations. Or exceeded them. Mm-hmm. And I think that ends this casting of the cantrip. I think so, too. Mm-hmm. Good, Good night, night everybody. everybody.